What's going on, everybody? Dan here, welcoming you to another episode of Process Potables. And if you're tuning in, then you're already probably familiar with recurring guest Marty Teller joining us yet again. As this is, you know, one of several times in the season where this is peak Marty time. Uh, the <laughs> trade deadline is just about wrapped up. Still, some buyout stuff, I'm sure, is going to happen, and we'll get to that. But Marty. Sixers get George Hill. Not not a whole lot else happens. They don't give up anything that really should have much impact, especially this season, uh, depending on how you really feel about Tony Bradley, I guess. But, uh, you know, before we really dive into it, we're going to talk about moves all over the NBA and things like that. You know, just your initial reaction. You know, talk to me about how you felt at, like, 3.30 today when – you're, you're kind of at that point where teams could still be on the phone and it's technically not over, but you're pretty sure you know everything that's going to happen. And, you know, obviously we, we now know, but even then I think we were pretty sure that uh, there was nothing super significant happening with the Sixers and mainly that, that all revolved around Kyle Lowry and him ending up staying put in Toronto, which uh, based on everyone I talked to last night and, and the feeling I was getting for the last week or so, I think is a very big surprise to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I tweeted and I feel like I've jumped the shark. I've, I've been on a, a couple of, a couple other podcasts. Obviously you're the, the OG, um, here, but, uh, you know, um, listen, if you, I, like, I, I like Trill and you and Trill do a great job. So I'm, I'm not I'm not jealous. I'm not mad. Let's let's kind of keep it, you know, me, me and Trill. I think I think we've got kind of got dibs at this point. I'm, I'm willing okay, to share, yeah. but not not you too much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so I've been back and forth on Lowry and it's not really about Lowry, but just about kind of what it took to got to get him and how much I think Danny Green matters to this current you know, makeup and, and kind of why this team works. And, um, I went back and forth and even into like today and I had kind of come to terms with like, <clears throat> okay, this is, this is going to happen. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, you know what? I mean, at the end of the day, Lowry is a significant upgrade, you know, over green, just player to player. And then it didn't seem like it was going to happen. And then the George Hill trade happens. And in my mind, I actually, I thought it was a shrewd move in the sense that it kind of put the pressure back on, Toronto like hey we already have a point guard now so like we don't we don't have to get desperate and so then I thought for a little while he was going to go to Miami and then as as it started getting like 245 250 honestly in my gut I was like we got Lowry we got him because because they have to move him they're going to lose him for nothing this summer most likely and it, it just in my head I was like oh my gosh like I'm, I was just waiting for that tweet at like you said three o'clock 305 315 and then all of a sudden, Woj says, like, they're not moving them. And I I was actually stunned um, that that it didn't end up happening. So um, it was a roller coaster. Like, I'm, I, I kind of hit, like, that exhaustion, uh, like, peak, you know, after, like, you, you've been through a traumatic event. I had that this afternoon. Yeah, where you, like, you were tweeting through it a little bit. <laughs> I was a little bit. I was trying to do my best to keep it together. Um, and now, like, I'm kind of, you know, jacked up. I have a little coffee, you know, coffee going, Sixers in bed tonight. Late so night, Late night um, Sixers, baby. Let's go. Yeah, talking to you. So, um, overall, like, I, I don't know, like, I'm not a big, like, let's grade the draft or anything like that. But if you're kind of putting a grade on it, what, what would you say for the Sixers specifically, like the George Hill move, what, what kind of grade would you give that today? So... To, to try and be consistent with everything I'd either written and set up to this deadline, my gut feeling was that they weren't getting Kyle Lowry. And the two biggest things that I, like, combination of expected and wanted was a a 
ball handler for the second unit to let Shake Milton focus more on being a shooting guard and some version of a you know backup four or a four five combo like a stretch big something like that. And when I was talking last night with guys like Rob Manoff and um and Bobby Dubs who was over here talking to me and we and we did our round table with a couple other guys, I think I, I really came into agreement. I think I think Rob really stressed the point that like the guard position was way more important than that than that stretch four or five kind of thing because of the fact that you know you already you, I I feel I mean I felt good to get about Dwight Howard since the beginning of the season. I loved that, so I have no issue with Dwight being the backup to Embiid. And when you talk about you know Mike Scott, you can almost you really don't have to play him if you don't want to. And I think if you play him in spurts, it's fine. We've seen him knock down big shots like in very small stretches. He he could definitely still be. A body, but you also could get away between just Tobias and Ben, not really needing like a backup quote unquote power forward, so to speak. So the guard thing was such a bigger deal, and George Hill was really high on my list. Like, would have loved Lowry, was a big fan of getting Lonzo here. I think probably after Lowry and Lonzo, as far as somebody who can actually initiate an offense, like George Hill's the next one because Fournier's not that guy. He's you know a, a shooting guard and a scorer. He's better than George Hill, but he's not a backup point guard. He's a, he's a scorer. So as far as that role, I mean, I think George Hill is probably like the third best option and I I wouldn't have been upset with any of them. So we got one. So it's hard to be that mad. Uh, my initial reaction to the actual deal, which was ended up being what Tony Bradley, Poirier, Ferguson, and two second round picks. I think they're 25, 26. Three, three, three. Well, it was actually four second round picks, is what it officially is. So it's oh Jesus, it's the it's the two late ones that you just mentioned. It's our pick, our second round pick this this year, not the Knicks pick. That was there was some confusion about that. And then there's like a fake second that we own from Miami. It's like thirty one through fifty five protected in twenty twenty four. So That's so I mean, <laughs> t- t- technically it's it's four. Um, yeah. So so yeah. Go ahead. Anyway. So. My initial reaction was that was a bit of an overpay and not in the sense that I valued any of those things or even the sum of those things more than George Hill. It just seemed like a lot for one guy that I think they wanted to move anyway. Like obviously the difference with Kyle Lowry is like Toronto, it made sense to move him. You could have considered it a favor to him to move him to give him a shot, but I don't think they ultimately wanted to that bad, and they proved it by holding on to him and, and staying pat. So I think that's a real thing. Like George Hill was getting dealt, so I mean I don't know. I guess if that's what it took to make sure he didn't go somewhere else, uh, you know that's fine. I don't. I think as long as he, I know this isn't like a fair way to evaluate anything, but as long as he does like the average of what I would expect him to do, I'll, I'll sleep well with that deal. But my, my initial thought was just that seems like a bit much for one guy. Like I thought maybe like, I thought that same deal could have maybe got you like uh, Ellington and Wright from Detroit. Like I thought that was enough to get two guys. And while I think George Hill is more valuable than either of them, I don't know that he's more valuable than both. If that makes sense. Yeah. So um, I think first off the fact that, you know, not getting Lowry stinks, but the fact that he's staying in Toronto is like the Sixers second best case scenario. Like that's, you know, for him not to end up in in Miami, not that I, I don't see Miami as a huge threat, but I mean, I, I think they're going to be a tougher out than people maybe give them credit for now that they're starting to get healthy. Um, so him staying in Toronto, I think a win if it's not here. Um, I do think, so I give the, I give it a B. 
um, the trade itself because I would have rather a couple things either use Scott over Bradley because to me Bradley actually has value. I, I, I've been really impressed. I was excited for him from kind of the jump. I thought um, I, I had slowly kind of gone out on Zaire and, and I thought from things I had read about Bradley there were some real promising signs and he, he kind of proved it I think over the last two weeks. So I would Absolutely. rather have had I would rather have had him for the, the next two months, even if he didn't play at all once Embiid came back. I still would rather have that safety net and have used Mike Scott in that deal. So, like, if they would have used Mike Scott and then the same um, second rounders, I would have given it an A, an a. Or if they would have ended up having only to use two versus three second rounders, I would have given it an A. Or if we would have gotten Muscala back um, with what we gave up, I would have given it an A. And I do think, and I was kind of tweeting about this, like, right before I got on, um, and this is like kind of minutia, but I kind of wonder, and I was listening to more. I don't, did you listen to Maury right before we hopped on? Or you, no, I was, you were, I was trying to set a bunch of stuff up. So I saw that. So, I saw a couple of tweets. I figured yeah, you would so, have it covered. <laughs> so, so here's something that's interesting. So um, the way the buyout market works is essentially the guys clear waivers and then they're free to sign with any team. Generally, it's for the minimum. Um, and so most guys are looking for opportunity, right? So that they can right. play and showcase themselves. Well, Sixers, and there's a couple other teams, I think Hollinger, um, mentioned like the Knicks still have some cap space, but the Sixers have that tax MLE that they've really only used a tiny bit on, um, with Isaiah Joe. And so I wonder if there is a play from Muscala who played under doc, you know, albeit for just a short amount of time, but you know, has familiarity with doc doc has familiarity with him, obviously familiarity with Philadelphia. Um, we could sign Muscala and not only sign him like from using a buyout, but even give him like some guaranteed money next year because, and that, that this will kind of like segue into why I think it was a successful deadline for the Sixers because the carry contracts into next year, salary into like this summer, that that's as much of a part of acquiring George Hill as as his own court will be helpful this season is having his ten million dollars for next summer and next year to, you know, again, like if an opportunity presents itself and, you know, I, I started to just say like, hey, I think like Brogdon is maybe a guy that, you know, they sniff around this summer and it could yeah. be like the Conley type thing where it's like you know, two first maxi George Hill, who started his career in Indy. He's from Indianapolis. Like maybe he goes and retires there. Like, you know, I just think there's value. This guy that they got from the Knicks, um, Iggy, and I, I don't, the last name I can't pronounce, but he has an option for next year. So again, like if they need to add salary to a deal, mm -hmm. they can just pick up that option and throw it on um, the so, deal. Yes. So I wonder if they purposely didn't want Mescala in this deal because then they would be bound by his contract, which expires right. this year. That's what I was going to say. And and there's a little wink, wink with Presti. Like, yeah, we're going to give you the the two picks, um, but we're going to want because I think one of the picks is going. I think this year's is going to New York, that second rounder. But we want you to release Mescala and behind the scenes, like his agent, like, hey, we're going to give him, you know, some guaranteed money for next year. Right. And, you know, I, I just I wonder. And, and the things that Daryl said today made me think, like, they're going to look at a big and they're going to look at a stretch. And, and he just makes so much sense. He just makes so. And even if he doesn't play a ton, just having, you know, Daryl has stressed it. We heard it with Hinky, like optionality. Right. Having play like having rotation versatility and, you know, a team does this to you. It's like, okay, well, we, we can do this. We have a stretch now. Um, so I, that's something I'm, I'm really going to be watching. I think April 9th is the cutoff where um, guys have to be bought out and, and signed with a new team by then. So it's going to happen quick. 
Yeah, I, I guess I didn't actually grade it. I, I would agree with everything you said. Uh, so a B sounds about right. I don't have an issue with Muscala. It's not. A lot of people don't like him. Like, I, I, they have a bad taste from, like, his first running. Yeah, I, I, that's, I always, that's ultimately I what it is. He was fine. You, have to, you have to look past that because, obviously, that doesn't really matter at this point. So if you, if you do take that out of the equation, which we're supposed to, then that's definitely the case. Um, he, he does feel he's, he can kind of play the five. He's technically like a four, I think, but he could definitely do a little bit of both. Uh, if you have like a, a game where Dwight Howard has real bad foul problems, because we know that there's probably going to be at least one of them. Right. A- and right. at this point, they're definitely shorthanded after that with, with both Poirier and Bradley now gone. So it would make a lot of sense. I, I definitely think that you could convince me about that wink-wink deal uh, with Presti. And, I, I, you know, him and Moore have a, a pretty good relationship, so that would make sense. Um, You know, I want to I talk about Kyle a little bit more because I know we've talked about him before, and I was really on the on the bandwagon for him, like, like pretty hard. Like, I think even more than a lot of people, just because I, I valued a lot of what he did. But the one thing I'm curious about is, you know, what do you, what do you think was – I know there was that rumored deal about what was it, two firsts, Maxi and Matisse. Uh, obviously, neither of us have any way to know how real that is. But you know, if you think that that was what they asked for, uh, do you think do you think that's too much? Are you glad Moore doesn't pull the trigger there? Do you think that you uh, know that I is think, that is what they I, probably asked? I think that, yeah, I think they asked for I think they asked for Thibel and <clears throat> and. Uh, and uh, Maxi and obviously Green um, and the two extra picks. And I think um, there was a rumor. I don't know if you caught it. And, and Stein seemed like he was kind of full of crap all day, like full of shit. <laughs> um, but I think he had it where he was like, Golden State is closing in on Danny Green. Or there was something like a I, connection. Yeah, I with saw Golden that. And Golden State's interesting. I hadn't really placed them, but they have that Minnesota first that's really high. So you know, they're kind of in that weird place where, you know, they're still, I think, in playoff contention. Maybe they're on the just outside. I don't think they're looking to, like, really tank their year. No, th- so th- I know they've been hovering around, like, eight and nine, so I don't know where they currently right. sit, but so, they're right there. So they, right, so they could have given up a first, like, you know, their own first this year and made it, like, top ten protect, you know, something so, like, if it was a really good pick, they kept it, but could have could have added green. Then Ubre goes to Toronto as, like, the, the contract matching and now you Philly could have flipped that first to um to Toronto and i just wonder if Toronto was like well no we want Danny Green because we want to you know we want to flip it for the the extra right. first and end up with three first rounders so i think it i think it got to a point where it was just like there was one thing too many whether it was like not having control over where we sent Danny or you know one too i think we would have done our pick this year for sure um, and I wouldn't be shocked if, if he would have done one more, like 2023 maybe. Um, but 2023 would have to be unprotected because you owe 2025 to OKC unless you change their protection, which then, you know, is is Presti going to, you know, hold your feet to the fire a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I do value Matisse in, in these playoffs. I think, I think there's um, an element he brings that could – change a series in the sense that just having that additional wing defender off the bench, that's I, I, I think at an elite level um, would make a real difference. Um, 
you know, but like if it would have ended up being, hey, just give us Maxi, Matisse, Danny, and we won't take any picks, I probably could have stomached that. You know, you still have all your picks going forward. I could have lived with that. So I just think it ended up being like one thing too many. But it, it, my, I bet you it ended up being Maxi, Scott, Green, and one first. And I'm s- still kind of stunned that Toronto didn't take that. You're stunned Toronto didn't take that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, to get a first round pick and Maxi, you know, for and basically expirings for Kyle Lowry it was like a very fair deal. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair, but based on the reports of how high their asking price is, I, I don't know. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm, su- I'm surprised. Like I just, oh, okay. when all was said and done, I was just shocked that they, they never ended up, com- you know, I think Maury called their bluff and they really weren't bluffing. And I just find that surprising. Uh, Golden State is 22 and 22. They are a game and a half out of the eighth seed. So they are the 10th yeah. seed, which puts you in the play in at least. So they're right. in technically. Right. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think there might've been something there and, and who knows who leak, you know, I think there things get leaked strategically. That's something I've really kind of like figured out this season. I've always had that sense, but I think I followed it a little bit more closely now. So I think there was, you know, basically, that was like um, the smoke signal to Toronto. Like, Hey, we can get you another first. Right. But we're, but we're not going to put Matisse in the deal potentially. Uh, uh, Matisse is so interesting because I think, you know, 45 days ago, I, I was flipping a coin, like, you know, whichever one of Matisse or Maxi they want, I really don't care. And obviously, you know, he just like, he's always been, you know, like a, a hell of a guy to watch, but the last like 45 days, he's become an absolute nightmare and a buzzsaw. It feels like he's been unlocked to a whole other level. And I've never been a Mat- Matisse's untouchable guy, but damn, was I close. Like I really, <laughs> really had no interest in moving him, which is saying a lot because I've been probably more critical of him than a lot of people for most of the time he's been here. Um, you know, obviously uh, appreciate and, and see the defensive talent, but uh, the offensive stuff has scared me, but he's literally even like, I don't know if I even buy the recent hot shooting streak, but his defense has actually gotten so good that the offense doesn't matter that much, which I wasn't sure he could do at all, nor that quick. So he, that was interesting to me. Like, do you think, like, what do you think if you're Daryl Moy, what piece were you like, most least wanting to give up that like kind of made you not pull the trigger. Is it Maxi? Is it Danny green? Because you want to win this year. Is it Matisse because of his future? Is it, is it the first uh, round picks? It, it might've been the picks, man. It might've been the picks. I, I, that's one thing I think um, he, he seems to be guarding very tightly. I think again, another reason why, you know, you saw three first rounders or you know, four technically right. uh, four second. I'm sorry. Second rounders, second rounders. go out. I think I think he was. I mean, if they would have put a first in, I, I think Orlando would have given them Fournier. So, like, one thing I want right. to you know, we'll talk, I guess, about some other deals. A lot of people were kind of pissed about Fournier today, and I get it. I get why because he is good, and, and Boston kind of got him for nothing. But it's because of the situation Boston was in. So they they were able to take Fournier in completely with their tr- trade of player exception from um, Gordon Hayward. Uh, Gordon Hayward, right? And didn't have to send anything back. So not only does that save like a ton of money, even prorated for Orlando this year, it also creates a $17 million TPE for Orlando in the future. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we would have sent a first, would they have taken like the poo-poo of, you know, Scott and Ferguson, Ferguson and 
but but now you're now that gets complicated because you're literally sending like five guys for one right and you know then they've got to cut some people they've got to redirect guys so I, I just don't think it was as simple and you know if you make it a first maybe they think it's worth the trouble but um the one thing maury said right before we hopped on is you know he's really big about two-way players especially as it relates to the playoffs and um i think they valued george hill's playoff experience i mean he has a ton of playoff games under his belt as does um danny green as does dwight you know right. to an extent and I, i've been saying that about both those guys for this whole season and it's one of the things that um i've really like i've been willing to die on that hill and i feel like a lot of people have like don't appreciate it enough is having those guys that have been there. Like I know me, me and you talk a lot and you've been on a lot. Like I've no matter how Danny green has played in the regular season, I haven't given a shit. Like I want him on this team in the playoffs. I value what he does. Like I really, really believe that there's going to be several games in, in the run that they go on where you're going to be like, thank God he's here. He's I, I love him. Like, you know, and I, I, it's funny. We get attached to certain guys, right? So I know there's a huge Mike Scott hive and I get it. You know, I understand why he, he right. really he's went a, out he's of an awesome way to... dude. He's a good guy. It's, yeah. He's fun to root for. There's no issue with that. He, right. He made a, he, a connection. And so I get, I get that. Um, you know, it's just hard because he was one of the most usable contracts that, you know, yeah. could have done something. So it's interesting. They hung on to him. Um, but you know, the, the guys that I sort of leaned into this year was you know obviously Tobias you know Joe take Joel and Ben out of the equation they're like I I look at them as like our siblings almost like they're our family so like we have to love them and like we do <laughs> but like sometimes they're just like they can frustrate you or whatever but the guys that were really kind of like I, I really enjoyed Bradley Matisse I just enjoy watching so much um Tobias obviously is like our guy our guy um, and then and then green I've just enjoyed green so much I just think I remember sitting last season watching games especially towards the end and just being so frustrated we're like we just need a bomber we need a guy that just will shoot 10 threes a game and doesn't care and you know and then we get him and people are like well he misses six a night and it's like yeah he makes four of them <laughs> he's he's a 40 percent <laughs> three-point shooter guys like that's what it looks like um you know and, and that was it the next i forget what game it was like he almost like ripped his shoulder out like he plays so hard he's played in every game this year for them um, I just think he's been uh, totally underrated, um, not by me, but, you know, and, and right. unappreciated. And I think I, you know, he does do some dumb stuff sometimes. There's no denying it. Like I mean, everybody on this team, unfortunately does dumb stuff yeah, sometimes. It's not like he's they, alone there either. They do. They do. And, um, but, but I think he's, he's big. And I think having, you know, having George Hill now is like a stabilizing force of the second unit. And what's, what's kind of nice now, although not experienced, all, all of their kind of bench rotation guys kind of bring something different. Like Sheik brings something different than Furkan, brings something different than Matisse. So mm -hmm. it's like I think you, you look at George Hill as being probably your staple like sixth man, and I'm sure Sheik will kind of get first kind of dibs. And then you can kind of like if you're Doc, like you can kind of go offense-defense, right? Like yep. if you're like, hey, we need – like I got to get some defensive juice in there. You can go with Matisse in the playoffs. If you're like, you know what? we got to stretch this floor. I like, I need to just get shooters on the floor. You've got Furcon. So I just feel like now you've got some stuff where, you know, Hill and shake will probably be the two main like wing guard types for sure. But having Matisse and Furcon, you know, and, and it may turn out neither can play in the playoffs. They just aren't ready. They're just not capable. They're not Furcon's not strong enough. Matisse isn't, you know, can't do enough offensively, but 
I, I like the options that they bring. And I, I'm not as like apoplectic as like some fans are that like we didn't do enough. Like I, I think he did what needed to be done. I think he increased our chances, you know, probably one to two percent of championship odds. And like that's a big deal to do that for three second round picks and you know, <laughs> that aren't really meaningful in any way. Like you yeah, know, I, when you I, pick- I gotta tell you, Marty, because I don't I don't know if you got to watch the round table we did last night, but you're you're literally reiterating what I said, which because we were talking about the uh, idea of if they didn't make any moves. And again, like me and me and you talk a lot. So, you know, like I, I believed from the beginning of this season, this team was a contender and I've, I, I've stood by the fact that if, if they didn't make any moves, I would still believe they're a contender, but that doesn't mean that you don't make even the marginal moves and literally even if it like if you say right now before any of the deals you thought they had a 20% chance to win the title if you're telling me there's any move that makes that 21% and it's not you know going to cost you and and the value is fair then why don't you do it and that's exactly that's exactly what i said about a guy like George Hill it may only make it 21 or 22% but that's actually a, a pretty significant deal and i think that that's really important they obviously didn't give up anything that you know uh that compromises anything too big in the future you've brought up a lot of great points about how you know that they've actually created plenty of potential optimal situations, even, even as early as next summer. And I, I kind of want to heart back to that with you for a second, because I think so far this season, you know, we know the Harden rumors and everything that came into that early on. There's been whispers about Levine and Beal all season. Obviously they're not going anywhere now. And I definitely want to talk about what Chicago did, but before we do that, does it, do you still get the, like, I get the feeling, especially after this deadline that, like I think if Maury didn't believe that he was going to still have a chance to make some sort of very big splash in the next, I'll say, two years, um, and maybe that's even too far of a window, but I think if he didn't believe that he intended to and would have a good opportunity to make a much bigger splash than a guy like, guy like Kyle Lowry, then he would have just gone for it. So him not doing it makes me believe that he still very much thinks that, you know, they may make a run at a guy like a Beal or a Levine or, you know, who, whoever else may end up becoming available. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think his activity level, um, going after Harden being involved in this Lowry talks shows that like he, he, he wants to make a trade to put this team over the top. There's no doubt in my mind that, you know, I think he thinks his team is close. I think if you put a like gun to his head or like gave him truth serum, he would say like, we need a little bit of luck, probably some injury luck. You know, I hate to like, I'm not trying to put like the woogie on like Brooklyn, but like, you know, if, if one of those three guys isn't a hundred percent, like it definitely would change the equation, right? Like if, you know, Irving or Harden or Durant isn't a hundred percent in a, um, uh, Eastern conference finals, like that would change the equation. So I think, you know, he admitted as much tonight that he felt like they were the favorites, but I just think he didn't see the move on the chessboard right now. But he's giving he's he's kind of pushing that kicking that proverbial can down the road, but for a good reason. And right. I think I, I don't think he's intention like he could have added Fournier with for a first and then this summer tinkered and added, you know, done some other stuff. I think he's looking for, you know, Levine might be tough now. It looks like Chicago is kind of like yeah. going for it a little bit, a little bit, um, you know, Beal is, is everyone's kind of white whale. Um you know, I don't know if you can get there. I don't know if you can get there without Ben, but you know, maybe, I don't know. Um, 
that's why like I, I Brogdon was the one that kind of hit me the other day and I was like man you know that feels the Pacers feel like they're in kind of a weird place that you know if you if you bloom away with an offer and I, I when I say blow away like you know look what look what the Bucks gave up for Drew you know I, I think like Brogdon and Drew are kind of comparable in the sense like neither is like a perennial all-star but they're both like really really good players mm-hmm. um and Drew only had one year left on his deal. Brogdon has two and is actually a little bit younger. Now, Brogdon's had some injury concerns, but um, I don't want to like. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, like, you know, does it end up being like if we like, let's say we get to the Eastern Conference Finals and we lose in six and it's like just clear, like Hill helped, but we need like a step up from George Hill. Right. You know, George Hill's contract next year, like gets you more than halfway to what you need to match for Brogdon. So then, mm-hmm. you know, now it becomes, you know, maybe it's not everything like, you know, it's not a hardened trade, but you know, is it like three firsts? Like, you know, maybe you don't do all the swaps, but it's three firsts and maxi. And it's like, wow, that seems like a lot, but it's like, well, that's the piece though. And like, that's the literal piece that you need. And you have two years like he said tonight, like I'm looking at, I'm working in two and four year windows. Mm-hmm. Well, now you've given yourself this year a real chance. And then two, two more years after that, before the contract stuff gets kind of like iffy. All right. You, I have so many things I want to take from that. So I'm going to try my best to, to get them all to you and, and, and try to work through them. So I don't forget. Number one, that drew holiday deal by the box. Do you think that that just fucked the entire, like, market to it to a degree i i thought about that a little bit today where you know it it seems like most teams like if you look at the transactions really value first round picks like that that is still kind of the precedent that like getting a first even if it's like you know pretty well protected lottery protected Mm -hmm. is like not that easy like you know for for any even starter level guy um so i do think like you know, those deals, those desperate deals, um, like the bucks made, like do kind of hurt the market because I think it creates like, um, you know, expectations that just like, aren't like reasonable. So like that um, one, the Paul George deal, right. Like it's, it's really made it tough. And I think, especially when you come back to the Lowry one, I feel like that's where they were kind of like, that was their big chip was listen, like look at the other guys that he's kind of in the company of, even when, you know, you weren't getting them for long periods of time, like whether it was you had to resign them or or they were able to walk away, like people were still if, paying up. If if Larry had one more year left on his deal, Daryl would have made that move today. I firmly believe. I agree with that too. I think if I think if he would have been, you know, again, like the Conley thing where you'd get him for this playoff run and then, you know, one more full season, mm-hmm. I think he probably pulls that trigger and he's like, for okay, sure. you know, like I don't know that I can get somebody better than Kyle Lowry between now and this summer. So I'm going to, you know, shoot my shot now with him. And, you know, we're not using everything we're using our, you know, the two, you know, first rounders coming up and, you know, another year or two, we'll have access to some more first rounders after the, um, OKC pick goes. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's a reason he's protecting those first rounders. I really do. I and I think it's to what you're saying. I think I don't, he he's said that he's looking to kind of tinker, but I think he's looking for a, a big move. I yeah. really I think that's the ultimate. And, and his track record speaks for it. I mean, he 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 has pulled the trigger and and really gone for it before. So I don't think that, and it worked out. So there's no reason to believe he would be gun shy again. I mean, he he really hasn't 
uh, been burned too bad so far. It seems like he's a very uh, good talent evaluator. It seems like he has a good grasp on the value of both, you know, the idea of winning now and, and future assets and how to kind of calculate that and figure out what makes sense. At least, again, you can only really go off, off his record, but I, I think that's why most of us loved that he came here and have trusted him so far. So I don't, even if you're upset right now, which, you know, I think for the most part, neither of us really are, but if anybody who's listening is, I think that, you know, you have to remove the, the, the current like state of emotion and the media swarming to what everyone else is doing and whether they've improved or not. And just really like, you know, go back to two or three days ago where you had all this faith in the guy and realized that, you know, you still should, and there's a reason you did. And because of that, you should understand that there's a reason that, you know, what has now transpired is what did and the only things that did. Um, Something else we talked about last night that I, I feel like you would have a really keen sense on, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, though, but do, what do you think about the like the kind of unknown about um, Ujiri going into all the all the decisions Toronto made, whether to move people or not? Um, you know, it seems like a lot of Toronto fans are like really unsure about you know whether he's going to stay or not, and it's made it kind of uh, questionable as to what you know, he really considers their direction or, or how much he really is concerned with their direction because for all they know, he may not even be, I think, what is next year his last year or is this his last year? I, I think his contract is, is up this year yeah. at the end of the season. They And they have a guy named Bobby Webster, I think his name is. That's like their GM. And my understanding is he's like, he is heavily involved and like, you know, well well in line to take over if Masai leaves. Um, I, I'm not like that in tune with it. Like, I think there is some talk like Masai might be given some like ownership or maybe he even has a small amount right now. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. I, I mean, I'm sure it plays some kind of factor. Um, I, I, I think, I think Masai, like I, you know, there's a little bit around him, you know, he might be reading like his headlines a little too much, like, you know, and, and I think he, I think that, I think he tried to like out bluff, you know, other good GMs like Miami and, and Philly right now have great front offices, obviously. Right. Like, and I think, you know, every, there people were posting that like uh, office, uh, uh, gif, like with the, you know, pointing the guns at each other or whatever. It's like, <laughs> I think that, I think it was kind of like that. It was like, who's going to blink first. And, and all those front offices were like, yeah, we're not blinking. Mm-hmm. Like we're, that's we're, you, you're, you know, you're not messing with, you know, the Sacramento Kings of the of the league here. Yeah. This is and we're we, real front offices and we got a little too used to that as Sixers fans. So Right. And like, you know, people were joking today and they probably were right, unfortunately. And and, and who knows, maybe it would have worked out, but like people are like if Elton was still in charge, like, you know, we would have gotten Kyle and, and maybe Yeah, but at what cost? But, right. But but you have to show some restraint sometimes. And and I, I do think Maury's managing you know, when Hinky Hinky did an interview like I, was it with love? I forget who he did it with. Like right at the beginning of the season, right when Maury got hired, and he was so excited about it. And he said, and I'm sure it, it, it didn't come out of the blue. I'm sure it was a, from a conversation he had with Maury that, you know, it was like, it was like a two year kind of job that, you know, they weren't really, um, uh, you know, didn't have a chance to win it this year. Now it, it appears, you know, maybe that was a little incorrect, but I think, I think Maury came in, seeing it as like, Hey, I've, I've got probably like 18 months to kind of move some things around. Um, and the fact that the Horford thing worked out so beautifully, like to get Danny green mm-hmm. and to get Seth, like, I, you know, I don't, it couldn't have worked out any better for them. Um, so, you know, I think, I do think like Maury is looking at it with balancing this year, improving their championship odds, 
but leaving the door open for that big move down the road. Yep, I completely agree. Uh, you mentioned uh, Lowry going to Miami. I, I want to talk about Miami a little bit. Um, obviously, again, for, if anyone's not aware, Lowry did not go there. He will remain in Toronto. They did get Depot, <laughs> and it sounds like they Dude, will they be... Dude, they made a lot of moves. It sounds they like got... uh, it's rumored they'll be the leading candidate for a LaMarcus Aldridge uh, buyout. What... So when I was talking about Kyle Lowry, and I thought that the, the odds-on favorite was that he goes to Miami... You know, you said that it's better for the Sixers that he stayed in Toronto. And obviously for this season, like, I understand why you'd say that. But I honestly felt like I didn't care if he went to Miami because obviously he's a good player and he would make them a little bit better. But I just don't really think the fit for him is really even there that much. And and I figured if, if he was going to go anywhere else that wasn't here and not saying Toronto, like, I wanted him to go to Miami because I didn't want him to end up with either LA team or anybody we might see deeper down the line where, like, I've already given Miami a lot more respect than most people. I definitely think that they're the fourth most uh, competitive team in the Eastern playoffs behind the big three. I think they are the other one that, like, you wouldn't necessarily want to see. But I still think it's a pretty big drop-off from the other three based on this season. And... Like I, I just I don't I don't think Lowry would have, would have done that much there. So I would have been fine if he went there, especially if it was the understanding that he was going to like resign there. Because I would love for him to then spend years thirty six and thirty seven on a high cap number in Miami with Jimmy Butler, and also probably have cost them you know at least one of their young shooters, if not two, and some assets. So. um you know, I'm I not can, saying I'm not saying you were putting them up as like you know th- they would have been the best in the East, but I actually really was kind of hoping that he went there if not here. Um, obviously, can, staying can, in Toronto doesn't really matter either because they're not going to do anything. But yeah, I can see that point of view. I can see that point of view. I think somebody else mentioned to me like they like the idea of like Miami using assets to get Lowry because yeah. then if a if a Beal or somebody like that mm-hmm. comes like into play, well now they're you know it always seems like Miami's out of assets and then it's like, nevertheless, like, right. got, like but, but it, I, they really would have been like, you know, if they move like a first and, you know, Robinson and, and like or hero, Robinson, like, they'd really yeah. be down. Yeah. To, to nothing. So I, I can, I can see your point of view and I actually agree with you completely. Like, I think they are the um, fourth team behind the, the big three in the East. And, and I think there is a drop off. I do think that the, just the way that, you know, they have such an advantage from a coaching perspective, um, I do think that they will give somebody trouble. I think they'll win most likely their first round series. Mm-hmm. And then whoever ends up playing them, which if we stay at one could very well be us, which mm-hmm. is like kind of fitting. Um, you know, I would be, I would be concerned going up against them just because guard play is so paramount in, in the playoffs. So I, you know, having a bulldog like Lowry and Butler and even, uh, Goran, like I, I, you know, I'm not saying I would have like said we'd lose, but I just, exactly. I, you know, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worried me either too much. But okay. um, I, I think I I think overall. Like, so what do you think about Depot? Nah, that doesn't. I mean, unless he's like, did I th- like I think I think he's a, I honestly right now like and I I loved his like kind of redemption story in Indiana. I I feel like he's like come off a cliff, not even just like on the court, but like I'm not really sure where his head's at, and I yeah. kind of feel like he could be like a home wrecker there, dude. He um 
he could get rejuvenated there, but he he doesn't worry me like Lowry does. He's he's not like a playoff tested guy. I mean, oh for sure. You know, I but it's just I I just think it's amazing how many moves Miami made with like no assets. Like you know, again, like we said, like Miami never has assets. They get Ariza, mm. they get uh, <laughs> they they get uh, they're gonna get Aldridge on the buyout. They got B- what what Bielitsa, is Ariza right? anymore? Like that, like no. that, like when I look at those things, like Ariza's that guy that, like you know, you look at the name and you and you remember some of the playoffs he's had, and you think so, but it's been a while since he's actually really been a factor. He he was he was helpful last year for Portland, but again, doesn't worry me. I just yeah. just the fact that they were able to make, um, like three, well, three plus a buyout, like three additions, just yeah. was like really fascinating to me. No, yeah, I mean that that's what they do, um, and like. Of all the places Oladipo could have gone to go and try and play alongside Jimmy Butler, like I, I don't see that. I don't think that's a good combination at all. Like as much as I wouldn't have been that worried about Kyle Lowry going there, at least I think that like he could have played a lot better alongside Jimmy Butler than yeah. Oladipo can. Obviously, they're different players, but um, everybody knows that. Uh, I, I, I gotta ask you, Marty, and I, I'm sure we'll have a little bit of fun with this. Danny Ainge, a whole lot of almost <laughs> as, as usual. Uh, they didn't get Aaron Gordon. They didn't get Oladipo. They, the one, the one that is blowing my mind is you move Daniel Tice and get Mo Wagner. Well, that was for luxury tax. So, okay. so they did that to I get under. The I didn't see tax. that at all. I have not seen and, anybody say that. So yeah, so, it makes so sense they did that to get, that. Yeah, they got they did that to get under the luxury tax. The rumor is Olenek, if he gets bought out, they'll bring back on a minimum and they'll like just skate under the luxury tax by like okay. you know, literally like a hundred thousand okay. dollars. Um if they I, do all that I, then I'll then I'll okay, then I'll give Danny Ainge so, credit for that, I guess. Well, but I mean but I mean they got a worse player. Like yeah. I, say what you will, like, you know, I, I think Tice is, is a nice a nice player. Oh, I, absolutely. Know, I, uh, like so, that's why I'm saying it. Like it does. It's, like I guess so, it makes sense in, in in everything you said. My thought is that if I'm you know Boston, I know it's been a down season, but you know the East isn't that strong. You have two. You have you have three stars and two very young talented stars. I, it, it just seems like that's not a that's not a win now move. Obviously. I, um, I, I'll toot my own horn a little bit. Like so, I called Fournier to the Celtics and I called Gordon to the Nuggets. Um, I just, I just kind of knew that Marty. At this um, point, Dan- you can toot your own horn all the time because you get a lot of this right, man. It, it's just, not, knew, it's not luck I, anymore. I had a feeling the price was going to be right for the Celtics with Fournier. Like I, I, and I don't even know that they're like in, like we're in love, like infatuated with Fournier. I just mm-hmm. think like they had this traded player exception. The pressure was on with them having kind of a disappointing season to like use it. I didn't think they wanted to use like I think it was like twenty eight million. It was a pretty big number. And I don't think they wanted to take all about that the on trade was, exception. Yeah, they yeah, had like it was 20, like twenty eight point three million. I right. think it was, it was but crazy. They, could, they, they couldn't even really use the whole thing because they they had like the hard cap because they used the full MLE on Tristan Thompson. Like again, cap minutia. But uh, I love, just I love like, when you talk dirty. <laughs> it just seemed like it was going to be like you know Danny Ainge, like you know right player, right play, right price type of thing. So I just had a feeling that's what they would do everyone's like, Oh, great acquisition. And they didn't give up much. He's going to be good for them. Like he's going to play really well, sure. but I don't think but he's also you know, just more th- of the same of what they have. Right. Like, does he Dude, really re- remember, keep this in mind. So our VP of player personnel prosper comes from Orlando. Okay. So again, like if, if he felt strongly enough about Fournier changing this team's like championship odds, you know, my expectation, and I'm sure Maury would, would want this would for him to stand on the table and be like, 
go get this guy. Mm-hmm. He'll like, you know, he'll, he puts us over the top. And I, I, again, I think Philly could have gotten there if, if a first round pick was available and they obviously didn't think he was, you know, he, they didn't value him, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's cause he was going to be a free agent or what, but I don't think they wanted to pay him that ex- whatever extension he gets. And, and Boston now Boston has to figure out, okay, so they have Kemba max Tatum max Brown just below the max. Then Fournier is going to be at 18 a year, you know, probably a four year deal. I mean, you know, we worry about our cap numbers, but like they're in no better shape, honestly. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, at this point, we're we're still going to have our, our cap struggles, obviously, with the big numbers that we have. But I I don't think anybody, you know, even just a year ago or definitely two years ago, you were like, oh my god, like the like the Celtics seemed like they were in such great position, and it didn't seem like they could do any wrong, and they were not only going to have the star power, but they were going to be, you know, they were going to be a, a prime spot for the biggest names. I mean, everyone was talking about Anthony Davis being able to go there in free agency, and now it's like you know, what are they doing? Like they just have all these, like they have all these guys that you're not like, I, I don't think any of them are able to be the number one guy on a team. It's like, you've got, you know, a couple guys that maybe are are twos, uh, maybe threes and uh, a lot of big numbers. Like it's, it's, it's a little messy. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of like a cautionary tale for like not consolidating your assets sometimes. And I think, you know, they had all these great picks that, you know, eventually if you just let them become picks any angels war they, chest yeah they they end up being worse like worse than you thought they would be so like you had a king's pick that you thought would be top 10 it ended up like 14 or 15 so then the pick itself is lower than you thought it would be and then the pick becomes a player and if you don't get the player right then it's like holy smokes man like that asset you know a king's like essentially unprotected pick two years from when it like before it conveys any team would have jumped at that, you know, like in a reasonable deal. Now, like Romeo Lankford, like people are like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> like no, no interest. So I, I definitely want to get, uh, so you mentioned calling Gordon to the Nuggets. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I really have much of an opinion on that, but t- talk to me about why, why you thought that was going to be the case. And now it ended up that, and what you think about, you know, their, their, their logic behind that move. Cause it seems like they've like, it seems like they have a lot of guys that kind of play the same position and now he just kind of log jams that up even more. I don't think so. No, I think they see um, like Michael Porter Jr. is okay at at the four um, next to Jokic. But when you start having to go against like LeBron and like the size of the Lakers or even like some of the size that the, um, uh, like the Clippers have, like you, you Mm -hmm. need a bigger wing, like a a guy that can really be like a three, four. And I think Gordon gives them that. They were like, they were really like down do you, on Harris. Do you buy him as being like a playoff capable three? We'll we'll see. Okay. We'll see. I that's, mean, that's I, kind I of where I, my point lies. Is that I just I know that like he came in as like pretty much a power forward, and I know there's been this like somewhat evolution to him being more of like maybe a tweener, and obviously like the three point shooting has been a big reason for that. But I just don't really know if I buy. Especially as he he's gotten a little older, that 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 means he's gonna be able to you know step down to that role. And when you're talking about you know your Kawhi's and Paul Georges or your Lebrons or things like that, like I I I don't really look at Aaron Gordon as being much of a solution to that. I know that's not what you're saying, but yeah, I mean I think he just brings more size to them. Like they were pretty out on Gary Harris, so I think mm-hmm. like they'll move Barton to like more of a shooting guard spot, and then you'll see. Um, 
like uh, Porter Jr. shift down to like the three and then Gordon play the four. So I think they've given themselves like some more size overall, like in their starting lineup. And I think, you know, that matters. I mean, I think it was a good bet for them. Like, you know, I thought they would have to use Barton. And and like that was my prediction for the Sixers because I thought um, Barton would be part of like a three-way to Orlando and then Orlando would redirect Barton to us for like some assets. But okay. for, I didn't think there was any way that Orlando would take Gary Harris back. So, um, and I think Denver, if I'm not mistaken, only gave up one first. I think they gave up RJ Hampton, who's like a young prospect, but I, they only gave up one first, if I'm not mistaken, and got off of Harris. So to me, like they gave up you know, Gary really, Harris, RJ Hampton and a pick. So, yeah. So to, to me, like, even if you're like more lukewarm on him than I am, I'm not like a hundred percent, like a huge Aaron Gordon sure. guy, but but I think I think he's a good like worth you know he's again he's got this year and next year on his deal. Um, I think his number was like very similar to Harris's too. So you wipe off Harris off your books, you don't change you know your salary cap structure really, um, and you give yourself like two runs at this um, with him. I I think it was a really good bet and a pretty shrewd move by them to to give that a shot. Yeah, I, I I'm definitely I think more than the. Than the average person, I'm probably a, a little lower on him than most, but I definitely see what you're saying. Um, not much to talk about here, but I just thought, you know, every season we ultimately have to deal with the fact that they seem like they would be in everything. The Lakers do nothing. Well, and it was interesting. Like they were, you know, that at the very end that they were in on Lowry with the rumor deal was like uh, Schroeder, um, KCP, and uh, but they didn't want to give up. Uh, Talon uh, Horton Tucker, um, which seems odd. I mean, I, I I've seen him play, and I know they're they're high on him. And I know he's really young, but like, I don't know. Like they're in it right now to win championships with LeBron. Like now, if they would have gotten Lowry, like, and only given up those things, like I would have been like, mm, wow. <laughs> like that's they're they're gonna be pretty tough. And that's what I mean. That's why I was like, hey, you know what? If Miami gets Lowry, fine, because I'd much rather him there than yeah either LA team. Uh, and yeah, I'm I. This is really the first time, and and I don't know if it's, I, I don't know the answer to it. I don't know if maybe they don't they don't believe in the team. If if um, maybe he's not really pulling the strings like he he used to before. But this is really one of the first times it seems like uh, any team that had LeBron wasn't willing to just you know kind of sell out to to boost his uh, his run in that particular season. And I'm wondering you know if there's like a bigger picture thought to that. It's it, you know it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to watching tonight's game. You know just to see. I I'm I'm curious how the Sixers respond. Like basically keeping the whole team together. I'm sure you know there were some nervous moments today. People thought they were you know going to be packing their bags and saying goodbye. So you would think they'd have some energy tonight. Like oh wow, like they do believe in us. Like you know kind of kept our team together. I, that's what I'm I'm hoping to see. Yeah. Um and 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 not like a letdown because LeBron and AD aren't playing. But um. Dude, the Lakers could really slip in the in the standings, and I know you're not supposed to care. It's just all about like LeBron and AD being healthy, right. and home court might not mean as much this year. Blah blah blah. But I don't know. I, I think things are setting up as a like there's a real pathway for Denver, and I've always been more wow. bullish on Denver than than like most people. I think I picked them last year to make at least the conference finals, which they did. Um, I may have even said the finals, but I, 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 I do have think, the audio. I could always find out. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, I do think like Jokic and, and Embiid are like one, you know, I think Embiid's had, had been the MVP up to his injury and, you know, whatever, if, 
he gets penalized for missing games. It is what it is. But um, I do think they're like the two best players in the league this year um, as far as impact. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with, with that as far as the Jokic and, thing. And and I just, again, like I, I'm a little bit bullish on this Gordon experiment. And I think, you know, I, I after Murray's uh, performance in the bubble, I mean, I just I, I'm going to give it like the benefit of the doubt that he's going to like you know, rise to the occasion again to that level in the playoffs. So I, I like, I'm just, the Clippers have a lot of talent. Their depth it kind of worries me. The mm. Lakers, the Lakers, if they're healthy, you know, I, I don't see why they won't be back in the Western conference finals, but if they slip too far, if they go down to like five or six and, you know, I, I could see something goofy happening with them. I, oh, I could. Sure. So, so I just, I think a pathway is opening up for Denver. And I think that's why they made the move they did today. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I th- I feel like I'm, you know, same with Aaron. It, I wonder if that's like, you know, weird coincidence is that I feel like I'm also like always a little more uh, down on the nuggets than a lot of people are. Now they bring in a guy that I'm more down on than others. It's just like a weird combination of things that don't do it for me. And maybe there's a lot of bias there, but it definitely makes a lot of sense that the uh, road would be open for them. This has nothing to do with the trade deadline, but real quick, I, I'm just curious because I, be, I started doing a... Uh, like a weekly power rankings evaluation for uh, steady picks. And so what I do is I kind of break down both the ESPN and the NBA power rankings every Monday and also the, um, like the system that steady picks uses and the, the team that I keep really coming back to that I, I honestly can't see much issue with and seems like they're going to be built to be really a problem in the playoffs even though I don't think they're getting any hype as Phoenix. Do you buy Phoenix? Like they're, they're up there right now. They're playing really well. They have Chris Paul as that veteran, but they have Booker as the scoring star. They're getting production from a bunch of different guys. Like I, I, I didn't really buy it when they started kind of skyrocketing up, but right now I'm, if I'm in the West, like I, I think Phoenix is the one is the top team. I don't want to play. Um, I agree with you. I think, I think, Phoenix is legit. And and when I say legit, like I think they can win at least a series. And and that, that's my point. Like, you know, if it ends up being like a four or five series where LA has to play Phoenix and, you know, Phoenix is the four seed, you, like that that's not a like a oh, gimme I, I series. Would absolutely be putting money on Phoenix to win the series because one, the value will be there and two, it's definitely possible. Right, right. You know, and especially by having an you know, an old vet like Paul, you feel like, okay, there's a steady hand mm-hmm. on that team. So even though they're young and maybe inexperienced, there is that steady hand. So yep. I'm with you. I'm with you. What, what do you think? Cause just cause we're talking more kind of macro, sure. just let me give you a couple of teams. Cause I'm curious of your, like your take on them. Okay. Um, so Utah, what's, what's your take on Utah as far as like how far they can go? Yeah. Like, do you think, you know, they, they've kind of swoon, not swooned, but like had a little bit of a tough, tough stretch. Like after we kind of, you know, did our thing against them. Yeah. Like, do, do you think, you know, they, they're as good as their record has been? No. Do you think that, you know, they're a little bit of like a, you know, false, you know, false hope? Like, what do you think? I think that if I was saying today, like if I'm ranking the Western Conference teams as far as who I'd pick to win the whole thing, I'd probably have Utah third or fourth. I don't think I'd go lower than four. Uh, right now, I think my top four, and it would be really tough to rank them, is actually like Phoenix, Denver, the Clippers, and Utah. I don't have the Lakers there. 
because I just oh, wow. I, I really don't know if I, I, I buy anything other than LeBron and AD and you, you factor in now, you know, nagging injuries for both of them. And like you said, a potential uh, free fall down the standings a little bit. And I think there's a, a as much as we're talking about roads opening up for teams to get there, I think at the same time, uh, kind of like you said, I, I think there's a, a pretty significant path opening up to L.A. being like, you know, a, a, a surprise first, if not second round knockout. Okay, what about um, what about Milwaukee? Milwaukee is still the team I'm most scared of in the East, and it's not even like a knock on the Nets because I know they have the stars and everything. I just think that we match up against Brooklyn probably better than anybody. Uh, like honestly, I think in the league, I think we probably match up with Brooklyn the best. Uh, one because they have no answer for Joel Embiid, and I don't care what buyout people they get; they're not bringing in anybody that will do anything against him. And I think we've got enough very good defenders to to do the best you possibly can against, you know, a Harden-Durant-Irving combination. And that's assuming all three are available, playing at the level that you think uh, that they can, and that the chemistry is there, which none of those things are remotely guaranteed. I mean, how much of it have has anybody seen this season to really be making them out to be this juggernaut? It's not there. Like, right now, they're an NBA 2K fantasy team still. So I, I don't know if i buy it. Milwaukee scares me because they, they have the depth plus the top end. Like, Giannis could easily still train wreck a series against us if he really, really, like is going and even if he's not they have the horses to to keep up with us with drew and with middleton and even with lopez even though it seems like he's having a, a pretty down year uh divincenzo has been really good for them uh Connaughton's a, a nice player so like they have depth and star power so if anything i think they're the they're the team i don't want to play so it's funny i've mentioned this to a couple of people and i was surprised um at their response like I, I don't I don't think it can be underestimated like how helpful and important it would be for the Sixers to stay in that one seed for for Brooklyn and Milwaukee to play each other in the second round, which would be the most likely scenario mm-hmm. and to only only have to play one of them. Yep. Theoretically in the Eastern Conference finals like that is such a huge like it's it's massive. Like I bet you if Maury were to run the numbers on that. And if the six, if, as a one seed, the Sixers' chances to make the finals, I bet you are easily two times as high as a one seed. Like I think it's that it's that high. Yeah, I, I I could definitely see that. And not only the idea of not playing one of them, but like I said, when you look at you know the fact that a lot of those guys have missed time. That you know, especially with the Ret, you know, he has the the significant looming injury history. That you know, who who's to say that once you. You, you have them play through two potentially, you know, tough playoff series, whether the first one's getting their legs under them. And then if they have to face a Milwaukee team, who's definitely going to take them, you know, six or seven, uh, even if they end up beating them, then like there's a lot of chance you could end up, you know, one of those guys having an issue, one of those guys needing, you know, to like miss, like the later you get them and the more they go through, I think is only a benefit yeah. to you versus them. I, I think, I really think like if, if the Sixers make the finals i think it's going to be as a one seed so i you know to me i've heard just like again a couple of people are like oh it's just you know they got to get their healthy you know it's kind of like that lakers thing and i'm like I, we haven't earned that number one and number two i don't agree with that i think like i think avoiding those two teams until the until the potentially the finals is like 
a massive, massive. Um, and it's really crazy to think about because you you really have to take into consideration this year that a lot of the the season has been played with little to no fans, and the further we go, the more there's going to be. And we know over the past couple of years that the Sixers at home are an absolute monster, and with fans in the right. building come the playoffs, like it's a whole other thing. So you're telling me that like you know you, like you're making pretty big claims to how much it's important, but it, it, it all translate because tell me, you know, if we were sitting here doing this episode right now and it's the Eastern conference finals and it's, you know, game seven coming up us in Brooklyn. If I told you it's in Brooklyn, you know, what are the, what's the percentage chance you give the Sixers to win like 25%. But if I tell you it's in Philly, I bet you it's at least 50. I bet you, you'd at least call it a coin toss, right? Like it's that big of a factor. I think, especially when you figure that at least, you know, five to maybe 10,000 fans, if, if not all of them by that point could actually be there. Like it is that big of a a difference. It truly is, especially with this team. I think so too. We have, we have two, two more games left against, um, against the Nets, if I'm not mistaken. I think maybe only one more against the Bucks. I have to double-check, but it seems like those games are, are going to be really big. Okay, I've, I have a, just at least one more question for you. Okay. Um, so let's just forget about where we end up being seated. Out of this group of teams, who would you most like to play and least like to play in the first round? So okay. I'm going to give you a group of teams. You tell me you, you would most like to play and least like to play. So the Knicks, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Pacers, the Bulls, and the Raptors. Who would you most want to play, and who would you least like to play in the first round? I don't want to play Toronto. Okay. Uh, I probably the I probably would say the Knicks. Uh, you could convince me Atlanta that that's pretty close to me. Uh, I'd probably I'd probably say the Knicks just because I think. I don't think either of those teams can do anything, but I guess if I'm thinking like what's the the craziest outcome for either of them, it's like Trey Young shoots the goddamn lights out and tortures us, but I don't believe that could happen, but the Knicks don't have that guy at all, so uh I I it's definitely it's probably the Knicks, yeah. So so after watching those last couple games against the Knicks, I I don't want anything to do with the Knicks, and not really? because I don't think this, not because I don't think the Sixers would win. I think they'd probably win in like five, but I could see us like getting like hurt in that series. Like it, wow. it, it didn't even look like basketball when we were playing that <laughs> in the last couple of times. I, they I mean, are physical. Say, They're definitely physical. I, you know, they did just trade for Vooch, but. I, I don't think the Bulls have enough, you know, and I love Levine. I think he'd probably go supernova in a playoff series, but I think, you know, he would do his damage. I think, you know, Joe would, would neutralize most of uh, Vooch. And so I would say the Bulls, if they're right now, they're sitting in the 10th seed. Um, so it's, not, you know, not crazy that they could creep up to eight, but like that would be who I would want to play. That's um, who, oh, I, you would, you, like you would choose them. Yeah, I would. That's who of of that group I gave you: Knicks, Hawks, Celtics, Pacers, Bulls, Raptors. I would say the Bulls would be the wow. most favorable. I, I didn't want then, to touch them either way because I I just really haven't had the time to process what what they are now, and obviously we haven't really seen it either. So I I don't know if I feel comfortable, you know, playing them or not playing them. Uh, and actually, uh, we can kind of segue with this because that's the last thing I had for you. I mean, if you have anything else, we can go. But um, the last thing was I really just wanted to to hear your thoughts on the Bulls and what they did because the whole season it sounded like it was mostly, okay, are, are they going to deal Levine or are they going to hold on to him? And now it's like not only did they not deal Levine, but like they made some pretty significant changes to the roster. And while, I mean, I, I'm not threatened by them at all, even you know before I really kind of figure out what they are, um, you know, you're saying like you would, 
choose them out of a lineup to play. So I'm guessing that might speak to your thoughts on the moves they did and, you know, kind of what it means for the direction of this franchise, which has been in like this weird limbo for quite some time now. I mean, my guess is they're going to make a real big push to sign Levine. I, I don't think they'll be able to do it this summer because he's making so little, even if they were to give him a raise. Like, I think I, I imagine Cause you have to work off that number. Right. He and his agent view him as a max a max salary guy. So I don't think that they he, can he is a max salary guy, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I, I think I, he I is. Agree. I agree. I mean, okay. if, if not, it's like 30 million a year. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, huge. So, but, but I think so the dearth of like, you know, true star, you know, there's a lot of really good players, but what he's able to do at his age, like he'll definitely get max dollars. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to race to the middle. Um, you know, they traded for Vooch. I think they'll probably, I, they may have created some cap space. I have to, I'd have to like look, but um, I think they'll do some stuff, some maneuvers this summer to like firmly like entrench themselves as like a five or six seed next year. And like, you know, so again, like if that's their goal, like if their goal is to be competitive, I think, I think they'll, they were probably on their way to doing that. Um, but I, I mean, don't they're think the, the 10 seed now, so they're technically in the plane, but you would imagine these moves are definitely going to get them into the, you know, the top eight, I would say, and probably cement them making, I, I think they'll make the playoffs. Uh, so there's yeah. a pro if we hold on to the one seed, like you said, you know, that being very important there, there's a very realistic chance. They are the first round matchup. <laughs> it's, it's possible. I mean, the Raptors are the one team behind them right now. I think that we can probably all pretty much say like the Cavs, the wizards, the magic and Pistons are not going to be right. Um, in competition. So there's, there's one team behind them, the Raptors, you know, who could definitely pass them um, in front of them are like the Pacers, the Celtics, the Hawks, the Knicks. You would think the Knicks would maybe fall off, but they've got a decent cushion now, at least a couple games. Um, so, I, so I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they could move up a little bit. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen with the Celtics. You know, part of me like would kind of almost want to play the Celtics in a one eight and just like, like just put the nail in the <laughs> coffin, but also like, you know, kind of be careful what you ask for. So yeah, that's, um, that, that's what I mean. I, I feel, you know, I, I want to trash them. I, I'm not threatened by them, but I, I as, as much, I, as much as I would love to kind of like vindicate it one, they're, they're clearly a little bit of a mess. And two, it's like, I, I got to give them, a, you know, a little bit of credit just for, you know, handling us year after year. And right. you know, I just, I, you know, I'd, yeah. I'm, I'm way too focused on winning the championship to deal with a petty first round matchup that then they're just, they're just going to blow off anyway. Like we're not going to ever okay. win that argument. Even if we swept them, we're still not going to okay. hear the end of it. It might actually be worse if we do that. Agreed. I would rather them not even make the playing game than than, than beat them in the one eight series. Um, I don't. I don't. But, uh, I don't need four more fucking J Pro burners coming at me. I'm so burnt out. <laughs> um, I would say the other team like that. I would probably play. Like I think I would could live with playing, even though they have the two big guys. But um, I think you know the Pacers would probably play us tough for five games. But I, I think I think we would handle the the Pacers pretty easily. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like the. The Pacers, if we play the Pacers this year, it would remind me of the Sixers' first playoff run where they faced Miami in the first round, where yeah. it's not really that close, but the whole time you're in it, it's you felt pretty yeah, close. It feels, yeah, it feels close, and you're kind of nervous. You don't, like, feel great, but, yeah. like, But then you, you look back and you win 4-1 pretty handily. It so, is it is interesting, like, you know, when you are playing, when you're a fan of a team and you're, like, watching the playoffs and you know, you look back and you're like, okay, we beat Miami in five games. Oh, like we lost in five to Boston. But then when you think about it, and I'm sure this is the case for most series, like a lot of times, even those five game series 
are, are pretty close, like oh, most yeah. of the games. And, and they do a lot of times come down to the wire. So um, it's just interesting to look at because it looks like convincing. Like, oh, yeah, they beat them in five games. And I was like, well, like we only won by like four points. I would points. say like, other than last year's Celtics series, every playoff series they've had in like yeah. the current era has been like – whether you look, you know, whatever the record was, it's been a, a, a very competitive series. You know, even if they won 4-1 or lost 4-1, the, the only one I would say, so I would say last year's Celtic series wasn't competitive as far as the Sixers are concerned. They got handled. And then I would say that first round Nets series, like I never felt threatened at all. So like that's the only, right. that's the only one I think I can look back and say there was never a, a shiver of doubt in my mind or a sliver of doubt that, uh, that there's any way they lose that series. That's the only one. That that Nets team was a fucking joke. They didn't they didn't belong in the building. I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, you, you have anything else? I think I think we covered a lot. I'm really happy with that. Uh, we're a, a little over an hour, so it's pretty good time. No, I think we're good, man. I'm excited to watch. Like I said, I'm, I'm excited to watch them tonight. I hope yeah. they have some energy. Yeah, let's, um, get on, let's get on like the they're... Sixers after dark, baby. Yeah. I mean, you used to be scared of the L.A. trip because, you know, they go out and party. I don't think you can really do that anymore right now anyway. So no, hopefully they're I know this, pretty well rested. I know this seems like like this isn't the reason for it, obviously, but it all it everything comes back to what we talked about early on in this. It's just like I feel so much better about this team's roster construction and, and not – only because of how it is on the floor, but off the floor. And I never thought they had like a bad locker room. And even when you talk about like Jimmy, or even if you talk about Horford, like I never thought, you know, there were ever locker room issues. But when you hear like so many of the quotes you hear from Dwight, like I know a lot of people had mixed feelings about him and he's had a very up and down career, obviously personality wise and playing wise. But, um, you know, like I really, I really thought last year, you know, he had a really good showing back in LA, both like, I mean, probably not even so much on the court, but definitely, you know, seemed like a fine guy in the locker room. And dude, here he's been like, I was excited for him. And I think he's still exceeded my expectations on and off the court. Like he says all the right things. So many of his quotes, like on a team where we know Joel, like will talk, but like, he's still kind of growing into a leader. Ben is like doing the same thing. Like sometimes we get some quotes for him, but he doesn't talk a lot. Tobias is very well spoken, but he's like very reserved still. Um, but he's he's getting there. Like Dwight is always in front of the camera. He's always giving quotes, and like to kind of like be that guy, to be that vet that will talk and give the media what they want, and also kind of seem like he's like the voice of the locker room is like crazy to me. But like I just I respect it so much, and I, I love him, man. Like. I love Danny for all the veteran stuff on the court, but I don't, I don't, you know, hear much from him. Obviously, off the court, you know, he says all the right things, seems fine. But like, dude, Dwight's presence, I feel, is literally just a projection of the entire team in the locker room, and I fucking love it, dude. It makes yeah, me feel no, so I, good about the whole season. Yeah, it's it's been so nice, man. It really has been. It's been, um, you know, especially just after last year, you really wondered where things were going to head and if there was any way out, and then, um to get Danny and Seth and just kind of like and click Doc and Maury like yeah, that too and, and, man. and it's I think crazy. you know yeah I think it starts from Doc and and Daryl too but like it's it's just been fun and it's, you know I hope it you know I hope the run goes as long as it can and you know ends in a championship I mean these guys like deserve it I think like you know we don't recognize how hard of a season it's been for them I you know some people are like they're millionaires like so what they have to get tested every day and stuff like they're still human beings man like yeah. you wouldn't like that if you were you know 
you know, it, it's to go to your hotel room every night, not be able to like eat with your teammates and like order room service every friggin' night. You yeah. like, it, it's, you know, I, I get it. They're making millions and that's awesome, but it still doesn't make it like easier necessarily. No, not so, at all. And especially like, um, you know, especially the, like they're very like, you know, whether you want to, complain about the lifestyle or not like to get to that point you become very regimented you become yes. very uh like you know you're on a schedule you have a routine you have all these things and you know the the last year and a half has thrown so much of that into chaos whether it's in the bubble or out of the bubble or just dealing with all the testing dealing with making sure that you're available dealing with uh i mean i'm sure they're like probably keeping a lot more tabs on like what guys are doing and where they are. Like these are grown men that kind of have to report to people still. And that can be like a difficult thing to deal with sometimes with certain personalities. Like, again, it's just, it's just all those things that, you know, we've seen a lot of teams have, have several issues with, you know, uh, COVID and all that stuff. And, we, and we've had our share, but um, I've never felt like any of them were, you know, were actual like issues or, or really created any drama or anything. Like it was just like, all right, yeah, like this is going to happen to everybody. And, you know, some guys miss some games and then they're back and we're all good. And it's like, you know, nobody's saying anything wrong. Everyone's saying the right stuff and everyone still seems positive. And when guys are out, they're still winning games. Like it's, it's just crazy, man. It's like a whole, I, I didn't know, I didn't know basketball could be this way. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm it's with been you, fun. So. And, and that's what I've been trying to say all year, man. It's like, I just like, it, it, it's made me feel better about doing the podcast. It made me feel better about writing stuff. But like, even at like, it's just like the team is just like fun. It makes me happy. And, and I haven't had like nearly, I, I barely had any negativity this whole season so far. And I'm really trying to keep that mindset. And while we're obviously talking about, you know, title aspirations and all that, like, I really like, you know, I want to win a fucking championship so bad, dude. But like, I also don't want to get so, so much tunnel vision that then, like I, I look back at the season in, in, in such disdain. If it doesn't, like I'm really enjoying the season and I'm trying to just take it in as, as, as I go and, and have fun and, and, and love this team, man. And, and I think it's, I think it's been easy for me to do and I'm usually not that guy. And if anybody listening, like has still had any struggles with that, like I really, really hope you can like open your mind and your heart and your soul and just fucking enjoy it and, and let it make you happy, man. Cause like yeah it, it can it's awesome that's good advice man yeah go enjoy it yep that's it, our advice enjoy it man all right uh marty i've enjoyed this man like a lot uh love having you on whenever um really appreciate it. make sure if you're not following marty on twitter make sure you do so at mw teller uh for marty i'm dan thanks everybody for listening make sure to follow us on all the socials and everything and especially uh for everyone who tuned in on twitch tonight appreciate you uh, give us a follow so that we can build that up a little bit. Uh, thanks and trust the podcast.